It looked like a minor ankle injury in March would end Mr. Monomoy's chances of winning the run for the Roses. But as our college football colleague Lee Corso frequently says, not so fast, my friend. Mr. Monomoy now has a chance. Plus, even though racing is starting to come out of its virus-induced slumber, some tracks have not been as fortunate as others. Is the virus helping to end racing in some places here and abroad? It's all straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They will sack. And they're off. As they move to the top of the straight, it's a hit-bombing finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us, except for those brainiacs at America's Best Racing who kept us out of the running for Best Podcast at last year's Fan Choice Awards. With your help, we can make them have to pay attention to In the Gate. Remember, as you've heard a lot lately, we're all in this together. In a typical Kentucky Derby year, the major players really start to sort themselves out in February. Well, this obviously isn't a typical year, but in February, it still was. Seems an eternity ago, doesn't it? But one of the Colts who had started to emerge in the three-year-old picture has a very familiar name to racing fans. Mr. Monomoy, the pace is his. Mr. Monomoy leads three-quarters length of Blackberry Wine. Blackberry Wine makes a move on Mr. Monomoy. And these two together coming toward the quarter pole. Digital is right there. It's Mr. Monomoy driven by Florent Giroux. Turned back Blackberry Wine. Here's Digital, who's charging now. Silver State, then on the outside, Enforceable needs to lift. They come down to the final 16th with Laurent Giroux. It's Mr. Monomoy. Mr. Monomoy leads them home in the first division of the Rizzo Star Stakes 1x3. Mr. Monomoy, of course, is a half-brother to Monomoy Girl, who won the 2018 Kentucky Oaks and Breeders' Cup Distaff and was named champion three-year-old filly that year. In racing jargon, half-siblings refer to having the same mother, Mr. Monomoy and Monomoy Girl are children of a mare named Drumette, a daughter of sprinter Henny Hughes. Mr. Monomoy's father is Belmont Stakes winner Palace Malice, so you'd think that mix of speed and stamina would make a good pairing. And sure enough, he won the Risen Star, as you heard, in front-running fashion. An ankle injury appeared to end the Kentucky Derby dreams of Mr. Monomoy's connections, but... In the third of our series on horses who may potentially benefit from a delayed derby, there may very well be a chance for Mr. Monomoy to heal up and prep in time for the big one. To talk a bit more here on In the Gate about Mr. Monomoy's return to racing, and the return of top-level racing in general for that matter, for the first time here on the show we welcome one of Mr. Monomoy's owners, Michael Dubb, one of the sport's more high-profile owners. Let's start with Mr. Monomoy. You've obviously been around the sport a lot bought and sold horses to, as you put it, constantly upgrade your portfolio. So when you saw this potential gem in your portfolio be sidelined with an injury, what did you initially think? Well, when you're in the game long enough, you actually expect the worst and you hope for the best. Horses are fragile animals and they do get hurt. And obviously it's disappointing, but you have to accept it. And once it happens... You have to take the approach of 
Now I have to do what is best for the horse and what's going to get the horse back to his, you know, top form and a hundred percent. And you have to give him as much time as he needs. What has trainer Brad Cox told you about his progress so far? Well, after the horse's last race at Oakland, we, we knew this horse was not himself. We knew we had to go straight to Rudin Riddle and have him gone over from head to toe because we knew that this horse took that step forward from two to three. And we knew, you know, based on its breathing, being a half brother to Monomoy Girl, that this horse had all kinds of potential. And we just knew he wasn't himself. So that was what we had to do. So where is he right now in his progress? He is currently at Windstar. We took some chips out. And we are hopeful to have him back in training sometime this summer. I think the making the Kentucky Derby in September would be pushing it. None of us involved in the horse will do that. I would say, however, based on the schedule with the Preakness, that that is a strong possibility. Nonetheless, how do you feel about essentially getting a mulligan with this cold since the Derby is in September and the Preakness is in October? Well, you know, it's interesting because so many three-year-olds are just not ready for the Derby season and it's a push for the dirt. You know, it's always a push to have them ready at the top of their game uh, so early in their three-year-old season. So, you know, in this case, uh, you know, it's nice to shoot for it. I certainly wish the Derby were run when it was supposed to be run and all the other races and we weren't dealing with COVID, but it's not going to move the needle one way or the other. In other words, if we didn't make the Derby in September and the Preakness wasn't out there in October to perhaps shoot for, we would just be shooting for, you know, another comparable race for three-year-olds. You know, maybe had, had things not changed, it would have been the Pennsylvania Derby, which I don't believe there will be one. So, you know, we all play the cards we're dealt and it'll be an interesting Kentucky Derby this year, regardless of who competes in it. What makes you think there won't be a Pennsylvania Derby? I think that um, based on what I am reading and hearing about Pennsylvania, they're heavily dependent on casino revenue, and casinos are closed in Pennsylvania. And based upon the way that particular governor has addressed racing, that would be in the last tranche to open. So I think, you know, parks and Pennsylvania racing right now, you know, in the near future is in question. That's all. Maybe there will be a Pennsylvania Derby. It's just too early to know. We were talking about Mr. Monomoy, and I thought I heard the name Monomoy Girl. Monomoy Girl turns for home in front. Wonder Godot to the attack on the outside. Midnight Bizu is flying down the center of the track. Is now third with three lengths to make up and one for long to go. Wonder Godot on the outside. Monomoy Girl fights on toward the rail. And it will struggle past his 16th. Wonder Godot. Monomoy Girl. Monomoy Girl. Wonder Godot. Monomoy Girl digs down deep. And she was dazzling in the oaks. Half length on the wire. 
The 2018 champion three-year-old Philly missed all of last season with a bout of colic and then a pulled muscle while training for her comeback. What did it mean to you to see her finally return with a win on opening weekend at Churchill? You know, it created a level of excitement that was hard for me to get my hands around. Obviously, in a different time, in a different place, the other partners and myself would have been there. She's probably a once-in-a-lifetime mayor. And to see her come back off an 18-month layoff was just, you know, just beyond imagination. It's the, the credit, you know, here goes to the partners, to Liz Crow, who bought the horse, to Brad Cox, who trains the horse, to Florent, who had to overcome a lot of adversity in that race. And 18 months for a filly to come back uh, from and come back, you know, with that determination and that desire is really special. Ten wins and two seconds in 12 starts so far from Monomoy Girl. Owner Michael Dubb is with us here on In The Gate. You've been involved owning quite a few other really successful horses, including Breeders' Cup winner Waybell Avenue and Condo Commando, just to name a few. Call Paul was one of those. World of Trouble was one of those. Grade 1 winner among the 25 or so that you had in training with Jason Service, who has since been indicted on charges of illegally drugging his horses. The next hearing in that case comes on June 30th, by the way, where do you think the breakdown in the oversight came, allowing him to operate the way he did? Um, well, you know, obviously racing uh, has a problem because I've employed dozens and dozens of trainers in my career. And as an owner, we can do just so much research. We can interview trainers, we can analyze their training methods, we can look at the people they surround themselves with, we can look at the breakdowns they have, but what we can't do is we can't police the sport. So we have to, as owners, have more protection in the game. So I feel as if the sport let me down. Now, you know, in the game, you'll hear rumors and this and that, but you can't make decisions based on rumors. If you go to the track and you bet every horse that is going to be touted at the track, it's not going to have a good ending. You're going to lose money. And so we as owners, we need protections. We need probably what the jockey club has been lobbying for, and that would be uh, a, a higher degree of oversight to prevent things like that from happening. Now, I'm not going to convict Jason Service until he has a trial. I certainly didn't like reading what I read, but that's the situation racing is in right now. Well, one thing that wasn't rumor was his unusually high win percentage. Looking back, do you think you should have questioned that? Um, no, and I'll explain to you why. Different trainers win races for different reasons and have different percentages. Sometimes the owners involved with a trainer help affect the trainer's win percentage. There were very aggressive owners who want to race their horses where they're always two to one. They have a lot of horses. 
And then there are other owners that protect their horses. They don't want to lose them. They're afraid to have them claimed away. There are other trainers who get homebreds from people who breed them. Homebreds take several years to develop. So they they will have a lower percentage. So the answer to your question is, every time Jason ran a horse, the horse was typically a favorite. He was typically in a spot he could win. And so I don't feel, you know, there are plenty of trainers that win at a high percentage, but you have to look at the reasoning behind them, as well as the trainers. There are plenty of great trainers that don't win at a high percentage for some of the reasons I've said. You know, they have homebreds or the owners protect them. In the case of Jason, I knew he had very aggressive owners who wanted to run the horse, including me, who have a lot of horses and don't get attached to them. Uh, We interrupt this interview to tell you, our listeners, that we recorded this chat with Michael Dubb, who was a member of the New York Racing Association Board of Directors, about 90 minutes prior to the official announcement that the Belmont Stakes will be run on Saturday, June 20th. It will not be run at its typical mile-and-a-half distance. It will be run at a mile-and-an-eighth. And that the Saratoga season, all 40 days of it, will happen as scheduled from mid-July to Labor Day, of course, without spectators. We're leaving Mr. Dubb's answer to the question of the Belmont Stakes as he originally told it to us so that the remainder of what he says makes sense in context. We now rejoin our interview with Michael Dubb, already in progress. Um, The race will be shortened from a mile and a half. The race will be run in the month of June. Naira will very, very shortly release the calendar, the schedule. And obviously it will be an abbreviated meet, but it will end when it typically would have ended. Are you allowed to take us inside some of these discussions about whether even to ship up to Saratoga if there are no spectators allowed? the cost involved in moving everybody up there versus the return? You mean uh, for a trainer? Well, I mean, for Naira as a whole, and then for the constituent trainers and horsemen, you know, is it worth going up there if there are no spectators? There's no perfect scenario. The handle on the races will be much higher at Saratoga. Saratoga is a special place. The world of horse racing is incredibly attached to and interested in Saratoga. And so the catch-22 here is there will be substantially more handle at Saratoga. The substantially more handle at Saratoga means there will be better purse money, which in turn means we will lure more trainers and more horses to compete and have better racing in the summer if it's at Saratoga. The other issue that Naira is dealing with is turf racing is a large part of the landscape. And unfortunately, the turf courses at Belmont, they cannot withstand racing on them basically from June straight through the summer into September into October they in turn would become chopped up and potentially unsafe and we would never want to put the horses in harm's way. So that issue is out there. Now you want to send people to Saratoga. They have expense going up there. I get that the trainers who go to Saratoga 
not all, but some typically charge the owners a little more money to cover the overhead associated with Saratoga. But conversely, the owners can pay it because they're competing for higher purses and uh, generating more revenue. You have been fond of saying that your favorite day of the year on the New York circuit isn't Belmont Stakes Day, but graduation day at Anna House, the child care center at Belmont Park for kids whose parents work odd hours on the Naira circuit. What made you want to get involved with that effort? Well, racing for me was really the tail wagging the dog. I was just a fan of racing, but I am a home builder downstate and particularly on Long Island. And about 20 years ago, I was approached by Jerry Bailey, who I knew socially. And he commented to me that the children of the backstretch workers were sleeping in cars, being left unattended and really had no, no care for them. So the idea of a daycare center appealed to me. And I kind of took the role and met with Naira back then, some 20 years ago, we determined a site we could build a daycare center. I undertook the approvals with the local municipality, got the daycare center approved, and then built it. And after I built it, I realized that you just can't build it and they will come, that there was a lot that had to be done. Taking care of children is no small task. Uh, we thought there would be the licensing process would be easy. We thought there would be subsidy money for this type of education and that this would just go on its own. So I actually had to become the first president for the first uh, three years. I've been the chairman the last 17 years to ensure that it was successful. So I... um it involves getting an operator. It involves fundraising. It involves government regulation. It's it's no small task. It's no easy task. But as I've said numerous times, we take the children of the backstretch when they're six weeks old. We take them year by year through development. They graduate in cap and gown, ready for public school. And instead of being behind the curve, they're ahead of the curve. They've had a phenomenal education. While they're there, we develop uh, English, computer skills, arts, gardening, social interaction, all, all the things that give these children a great foundation for really for life, but at least for when they go into public school. And I now undertook and I'm in the middle of building a similar daycare center at Saratoga Racetrack. And that's currently under construction. We started with Mr. Monomoy. I want to just finish with Mr. Monomoy, who may not be ready for the Kentucky Derby, but he does sit ninth on the Kentucky Derby leaderboard, so his position in the starting gate is probably safe. He has American breeding, as we mentioned, but your group wound up purchasing him from the sale at Arcana in France. What made you think to go overseas? Well, we as a group, by a lot of European horses, so we're constantly scouting the market. We've had incredible success with Chad Brown, with the likes of Uni and A Raving Beauty, Wake Forest, uh, all purchased overseas. So we have people over there, and obviously, when that horse was presented to us with the breeding, one plus one 
wasn't adding up as to why the horse was over there. And the horse actually didn't breeze very well over there. But keep in mind, over there, they breeze on turf. And we knew that this horse was probably a dirt horse. So we stepped up and we purchased the horse. And um, uh, obviously, we've been greatly rewarded. We certainly wish you the best of luck bringing him around. Of course, Monomoy Girl, and you mentioned your others, as well as starting up the Naira Circuit again. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with all of this going on, Mr. Dub, to share this with us. No problem. Thank you very much. Racing has been the first sport to get back up and running amidst the shutdown, but not all tracks have resumed. Have we seen the end of some tracks, in part because of the pandemic? We'll discuss when the In The Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to In The Gate. As we're seeing here in the United States, horse racing is one of the few sports that has been allowed to continue operations through the worldwide shutdown, or been the quickest to start back up, without spectators, of course, and maintaining strict COVID-19 safety protocols. But not all states in this country have given their blessings for racing to resume, and not all countries around the world have either. A couple of places in particular face complete extinction, in part because of the COVID-19 shutdown. One of them is South Africa, where one company operates many of that nation's tracks. We'll find out in a moment what that company's filing for bankruptcy means for the future of racing there. But first, Dateline Phoenix, Arizona. When the shutdown hit in the second week of March, Turf Paradise, which has been around since 1956, immediately booted horsemen as well as the gear they would normally just leave in place for the start of the next season. Track management immediately started laying off employees also, including the racing secretary and his assistant. A very ominous sign. Will Turf Paradise resume racing ever? And if not, how much of their demise would be due to suspending operations during the shutdown? And how much would be due to other factors? Let's start there by welcoming in Michael Hammersley, 35-year reporter for the Daily Racing Forum based in Scottsdale, Arizona, for some insight. So, Michael, read between the tea leaves for us. How do you interpret not just the sudden shutdown of racing in March, but the way it was done? Well, there's a couple things. Obviously, you're aware of the problem with the simulcasting, just the signal, the fight they're having with Monarch, which simulcasts all the stronic tracks, and the state you know, law at the time, which is still, is that has to go to all the tracks and all the OTB sites, and Monarch didn't want to do that. So that was already a huge uh, burr in the saddle. And then once the coronavirus thing hit in March, um, I think the track just decided, you know what, we, we're already fighting like crazy, and that's and that was just the, sh- the shove over the line to, to close the meet. Now, they weren't going to lose a ton of days. I believe they started like early last October, and they were supposed to end on the supposed Derby Day, May 2nd. Um, so they didn't lose a ton of days, but I think that just kind of pushed them over the top. And the big thing now is the lawsuits you've got to go through and get taken care of, or the legislation's got to get fixed. Because without that, I'm not sure that I can see a path back right away. Because the horsemen aren't going to trust that they can come back if they're not sure. The track obviously doesn't want to to fight its way back if, if they don't have what they consider relief. So, uh, so yeah, it's a real mess. And then you've got a commission that, as far as like right now, still only has two members. They can't even hold a quorum. The, the State Racing Commission, the Governor Ducey's 
supposed, supposedly reportedly supposed to appoint another commissioner, but that hasn't happened as far as I know. So again, so you have a commission that can't even hold a quorum that could have maybe looked, taken a look at some of these things. So yeah, so it's a mess. So COVID-19 was basically just the cherry on top of all of the problems that have written this story. Yeah, I think so. I think they're already, you know, they're already up against, they're already in this big fight. And I think that just kind of the final push over the line that they just said. Now, if that had happened, let's say, sick argument, oh, let's say coronavirus, uh, let's say the chaos had started in, in November or December, they might have toughed it out for a while. But I think with the fact they only had, again, I'm not sure exactly how many days they lost. They only lost about 12 or 15 days, which, I mean, it's it's not a minuscule, but when you have a 110-day meet, I think you can absorb that a bit better. So the big thing now is, again, it's either the, the lawsuit against the state by Monarch either has got to get taken care of to the satisfaction of everybody, or the racing commission has got to come up with some way to, uh, to get some type of assurance, because these horsemen, are, they've already left. They've gone to Emerald. They're, they've gone to New Mexico. Some are going to go to California. If we're into like early September and there's nothing taken care of, what is to bring these people back? So... That's the scary part, because when other places have closed, you know, when Hollywood Park closed, Southern California still had Del Mar and Sanita. When Bay Meadows closed, Northern California still had Golden Gate. When, um, when Hialeah closed, Florida still had Gulfstream, Calder, Tampa. When Garden State closed in Jersey, they still had Monmouth and Meadowlands. There's no such option here in Arizona. The Turf Paradise closes. You know, Arizona Downs has run 10 days in the last 10 years. The only the track, Rolito, is a little fair track down in Tucson. I think they run like 20 days a year. So, yeah, so it's a bit scary as far as the industry in Arizona goes. If this is the end of Turf Paradise, how will it be remembered in the community? You know, that's a good question. I'm. It's always been well represented. It's always fit a niche. I mean, it was never going to be Del Mar or Saratoga. It filled a really good slot for all the horsemen that they're, they're, that couldn't compete in Southern California or couldn't compete uh, on the bigger circuits. But let's face it, not every horse is fast, and you need places like Turf Paradise or Emerald Downs or Sunland Park or, or whatever. Um, so, and you know, they did a really good job, or they still do a good job on you know how they treat their fans out there. It's it's always taken a backseat to the major sports here because this is very much. Well, I moved here in '93, and this has been, in spite of having all four major sports, this is very much a Phoenix Suns town. They treated the customers good. They did decently. They had a good or have a good OTB system throughout the town. So it's one of those things I think people aren't going to miss until it's gone. Thanks, Mike. Let's go now all the way across the Atlantic to Johannesburg, South Africa where we welcome in Alastair Cohen, a noted South African racing commentator who works for that country's version of the Stronic Group, Fumalela Gaming and Leisure. Fumalela operates four tracks, the whole country has nine, five training centers, and over 200 betting outlets. And with Mr. Cohen, we also have trainer Mike DeCock. You remember Mike DeCock, who brought Moob Tahij to challenge American Pharaoh in the 2015 Belmont Stakes, Mike DeCock, who was eight times the champion trainer in South Africa, is part of this group that is trying to figure out the future of racing in that country. So thanks to both of you. What is the latest, Alistair, in trying to lift Fumalela out of what's called business rescue, which is what we here in the States would call bankruptcy? Well, the latest is that Fumalela have uh, found their knights in shining armor. So there is certainly 
some light at the end of the tunnel with much uncertainty over quite a long time. Probably this is something that needed to happen because things haven't been run according to plan. There have been some questionable decisions, but this COVID-19 and, and business rescue have given racing a chance to to fix things up and, and to find an investor that's got racing at heart and uh, and has been in racing for a long time, has seen it uh, for, for many, many years. And and we're very, very thankful for, for the result that we now have. So uh, at least we can hope to push forward. Mr. DeCock, let's put in perspective, we've given the numbers about, you know, Fumalela has four tracks and five training centers and so, so on. Realistically, in the experience of being in South Africa, how much do they control the business in whole? Look, Barry, I suppose there isn't a business without them. They would be the majority shareholders in the uh, a TV company that broadcasts. Um, they are shareholders in the uh, international commingling business. They would be major shareholders in the local totalizer, the TAB, as you may know it, um, in South Africa. So, I mean, quite frankly, they are the business. So um, they really, it's imperative they are rescued for the survival of racing in South Africa. And so without going too far down the rabbit hole, what are the ongoing discussions like to revive racing behind closed doors as is happening in other parts of the world, including here in the United States? Ongoing discussions are with government. We have a a COVID council in South Africa where you make application to, I think we are one of many, many businesses, sports, recreation that want to get going. I mean, everyone's in trouble. Yeah, I think they're falling like dominoes every day. There's that discussion with the government, and obviously there's the business rescue that's going on uh, to make sure that when and if we do get given a date to race, that we can, and we can do so safely, that there will be purse money paid and there will be betting. And that is where we're at at the moment. We're sort of on on two fronts battling. Now, Alistair, I understand that there has been someone who has come in to help with money in the short term. What length of time do you think that will last? And what chance is there that the racing and breeding industry would just vanish? I guess there's always some sort of of risk attached. I mean, the longer South Africa goes into lockdown, I suppose you're pushing the buck on just how long owners and breeders can last. I mean, the good news that, that I've heard is that trainers that I've spoken to, owners that I've spoken to, are, are willing to be patient and, and willing to to see out um, this lockdown. But with stories emerging over at the top of the list um, with regard to government having a look at our, at our next plea to get racing started behind closed doors, etc., the, the longer that pushes out, obviously you run into some sort of risk. But at least the owners and the trainers are, are willing to be patient. They understand the the situation that not just us, the world is in. And hopefully we'll be able to get the show on the road as soon as possible. To put a, an actual date on it, I think would be would be unfair and I'd probably give an inaccurate date. But we're certainly hoping to, to get things on the go as soon as possible because as Mark, I'm sure, would attest to, the horses are fit, they're ready to go. And the, the day that we told that off you go, guys. We'll be ready, and, uh, and the horses will be will be in fun fettle, probably better than ever. And just in a short summation here, where is that short-term money coming from to help out? The money has come from uh, Mary Oppenheimer and daughters. Uh, Mary Slack uh, is, is the lady that's been so generous. Uh, 
Uh, you'll know her from the Oppenheimer Diamond Dynasty, the Bears Dynasty fame. Um, she's a very big breeder and a real true South African. And she put in some money for the pre-commencement finance for business rescue. Her, her main concern really is saving jobs, job preservation. And that, I think, is a big motivation and, of course, the love of the, of the sport. Well, we certainly look forward to seeing Mike DeCox and others runners back on the track and hearing Alistair Cohen's calls again. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Please stay safe. Cheers, Barry. Thank you. Cheers, Barry. Thanks so much. Our thanks once again to Mike DeCock, Alistair Cohen, Michael Hammersley, and Michael Dove. In 1996, we found out, much to our chagrin, that the IndyCar Series and the Indy 500 race were not entirely entwined. A split ensued, and that year, the 500 had nary one familiar face. Well, now we're being reminded that there's no affiliation amongst the tracks that comprise the Triple Crown. The Belmont Stakes is a strange 11 weeks before the Derby. Any Belmont juice will take the first plane out of town. I know that racing in this country is very decentralized, where each state sets its very own racing rules, as opposed to Great Britain, where one group sets the whole year's calendar. They wouldn't allow one track to act like fools. We need a centralized commissioner of racing here in the States, a job I'd take if it was offered to me. The first question I'd ask each time is, what does the public want? It feels in racing that that question is asked rarely. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. Maybe even the geniuses at America's Best Racing. With your help, we can make them pay attention to us for this year's Fan Choice Awards. Remember, you've heard it a lot lately. We're all in this together. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope this finds you safe and healthy as you listen to this show. And we'll see you next time.